Welcome to the Eureka Moment. My name is Curtis Sprouse, and I'll be your host. Over the last 35 years, I've had an opportunity to work with many fascinating people. These individuals have had incredible lives, and the Eureka Moment, this particular podcast, is meant to share those opportunities with you. In the 1980s, I started out in public accounting. From there, I was the CFO and CEO of several healthcare startups. After leaving those opportunities, I founded a company called Boston Market Strategies. And for 20 years, I led a company that developed strategies to launch and position products in the healthcare sector. In 2009, I decided to do something very different. I started a company called Eureka Connect, a behavioral science company that works with leaders, helping to develop their skills. In developing their leadership skills, we help them to develop their teams with the idea that they'll become better at advancing science and technology. In 2016, I led a group of individuals from industry and academic institutions in forming the Institute for Biomedical Entrepreneurship. This not-for-profit is focused on translation, taking ideas from concept to market. Again, our goal is to create solutions to healthcare problems, cure disease, and improve the quality of life from people. So the Eureka Moment is an opportunity for you to join these individuals, to learn more about them and others I've met through my journeys. So please join us for the Eureka Moment. I think you'll learn a lot. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll laugh. And I think you'll grow from the experience. Thank you. My guest, Elma Kortigage, today, uh, this is going to be a, a fun discussion. Uh, Elma is a kick. <laughs> That's, I don't know how else to say it, but uh, just tremendous energy. Uh, we met three years ago at the IBE. Yep. You were one Dave, of the Dave, you were one almost. of the first test subjects that we enrolled in the program, and uh, man, what what a, what a journey you've had since, right? But we're going to chat right. a little bit about that today. So, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Talk to you again. Well, yeah. I think what's really great is I gave you almost no warning. You correct. You walked in, <laughs> and I said, "Guess That's what?" That's the best way to get people to to participate, right? Right. Like you said, had I given you a day's warning, you'd have had a reason why you probably no, couldn't. No, I, I absolutely would have not made it because there's, you know, a lot of things uh, to be taken care of. But now it just, this works out. So I'm glad. Yeah. Super. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, um, so you're uh, associate director. Correct. In now research. of mm -hmm. research. Uh, okay. Momenta. Momenta, which is an mm -hmm. interesting company in and of itself. Uh, but let's talk about, let's go back because when I ask people where they're from, it's like, I'm from Kansas, I'm from New York, but you, you have an interesting beginning. So please tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I'm originally from Montenegro, but I tend to say that I lived in, before I even physically moved from my country, I feel like I lived in, in at least three different countries, um, technically, because when I was born in 83, uh, I was uh, born in Yugoslavia. So I don't know if you many know, it used to be a federation um, composed of different republics. And then by the age of seven, the turmoil happened in um, the Bosnian war that everybody has heard of, a lot of genocide. So we all had to live through it. Um, so being in Montenegro, uh, luckily we weren't physically in, in uh, turmoil. But in any other way, economically, we definitely were. We had a lot of refugees. So growing up, I've had those vivid memories of instability. But that's, again, um, the country then splits up. And so I, am, I was at the time from Serbia and Montenegro. And then by the age of 16, uh, there's another conflict with Kosovo. And then fast forward a few years later, that was just Montenegro. So now it's Montenegro. I'm from there. So in... You know, your formative years, like this is, you know, eight through 16, right? Right. Four, I, uh, right. You're going through it. And, and so you're not subjected to physical threat mm -hmm. at that point. Is that accurate or were you? Hmm. So I never ended up being physically hurt. And But people in your family? Yeah. Um, extended family in Bosnia, for sure. Okay. Um, to, I guess it's a longer conversation, but just to paint a picture a little bit is like I'm seven years old and um, I'm from a little town where there's 10,000 people, literally. And in Montenegro, somebody, I think uh, Greg made a comment when they look at Montenegro from the airplane, it just looks like a lot of uh, mountains. So where are the towns? It's always in those valleys. And I think physically is why these towns are so 
populated in this few numbers. So I'm in that little town called Roja, 10,000 people. And this town happens to be uh, the intersection of Serbia and Kosovo, which many people know now. Mm-hmm. At the time, Kosovo was just a part of Serbia. But we were also on the other side, you know, towards Bosnia. So when the turmoil was happening, we got a lot of refugees. I am ethnically considered Muslim. A lot of turmoil that happened was based on religion, even though they painted it, you know, through communism and whatnot. But it was truly, you know, if you're Muslim, you're on Bosnian side, and then there's the Serbian side. So all of that ended up uh, leading to a lot of refugees coming to our town. So I'd, we housed at some point 24 refugees in what now, what would I compare it? Less than a thousand square foot apartment or house. Twenty four so people at least. At, at so I have those vivid memories of like people coming from real struggles, but us not really having much because there's embargo. There's a lot of things going on. So imagine you know being seven year old and trying to understand that. But what ended up happening is like oh that's just at a time seemed the norm and um, helping somebody in a much worse, much more need right. Um, and between my house and my dad's family, we lived all near each other. It's a small, really small town. Um, we've all helped a lot of refugees, some that um, ended up being part of our family to this day. Um, so, that, so that was an interesting, you know, first, first years. But obviously, the country's much better. It's not like it was a bad place to begin with. And, um, but what really formed me is being in that little town, and uh, being super active, energetic kid, wanting to do a lot of things, and especially sports, and being interested in everything, basically, but nothing was formed there. So I, I had the opportunity at a very young age to actually start leading and doing things like um, start a singing competition. You know, and now it's a multi; it's a, the, one of the biggest international festivals for children sing, singing. You Noble started songs. it. I started that. So tell yeah. me about it. How do you, how yeah, we never talked about that. Yeah. No, you never talked about that. I just use that as a good example because uh, I'm really proud of it, for one. I was oh, I was eight years old, nine years old. We had something called Children Singing Hits. And it was basically just a town thing where um, we went and auditioned. My parents didn't even know. They had no idea if I could sing. I just remember being in a class and everybody's going to audition. So I said, I'm going to come along. So we go to this little um this one building that we had uh, i forget but it's a very cultural center and there's a guy on a keyboard and says sing and you say what you want to sing it's whatever is the hit that day and i sang and they said you pass or not and then that would happen every week so i i didn't pass one week because i sang the song that everybody else sang they said you can't so i went to the classroom and cried then i went back next week and i got in so the day before the event where we're now going to the stage where the whole right. town comes to watch you sing. I tell my parents, oh, I need something to wear because tomorrow I'm singing. They're like, what? <laughs> so I was like, yeah. And of course, my parents have been so supportive my, throughout anything that I've done. And I have an older brother, a year and a half older than me, but we went to school together because, you know, I had to go to school early. Um, then he wouldn't go without me. So anyway, they they were always supporting me in everything. So that was one of the examples where they now, okay, my grandma went and actually made my outfit. They took it so seriously. I went and sang, and many, many weeks later, I won. But before that even happened, my dad, um, he, he's the first, I think, yeah, the only one in his family to, to get a college degree. Uh, and he started a company at the age of 21. So it was really driven. Um, so he obviously supported all of this. So it just so happens that he was having a um, business uh, guest in his company from the capital, Podgorica, okay. at the time called Titograd. And he said, well, this is an important uh, meeting I have with a guy who just came from Podgorica. But I, he said, look, I have to cancel our meeting. I have to attend my daughter's singing. And he said, what is that? So my dad explains, it's nothing. Do they sing the hits? You know, it's kind of right. gimmicky and funny. And he said, well, I have to see this. So he comes with my dad to watch me sing. And he was blown away with what we were doing. Then he said, I have to televise this. He happens to be the famous now since last year deceased, Ranko Jovic, um, uh, sports commentator. Okay. So he was already on TV. So anyway, he, he went back and said, I have to film this. Long story short. Um, through seeing me and then bringing in the people to see if they should film that next year, it was a festival and it was only people from my town. 
the year later, it was novel songs. Composers brought in their, you know, um, people to sing their novel songs, right. all children's songs. And then the year later, it was expanded to multinational uh, um, and then international. And now it's it's the biggest. Uh, after Tsikino Tora, I believe, is Italian children's festival. This is the biggest children's festival. So how many children Crazy. are involved in this thing? How many, sorry? How many children are involved in this thing on a yearly basis? Oh, so like this happens in February because that's when we sang at the time. I even named it because I was like, oh, we're in a town on a thousand and fifty meters altitude, have a lot of snow. So we named it um, Zlatna Pahuda, so Golden Flake. To this day, it's called Zlatna Pahuda. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I think, I can't quote me, don't quote me. I think about 20 at a time when I was doing this would be competing. But then they have different days, so then you semifinals, then finals, right. and whatnot. But now it's so proper; it's novel songs. It's not as fun as when I, you know, sang uh, whatever famous whatever, you know, folk something. <laughs> so, that so that is so cool. That is so cool. Um, so you're just a little thing, and you're already starting to organize and get things kicked. That off. had happened that way with certain depictions, right? But. Similarly with, you know, just being involved in different sports and being good in school. So it was difficult for me to ever know what is it that I'm good at. So what kind of sports did you play? Oh, I started with karate because my brother wanted to go and I wouldn't let him go without me. Okay. And then I ended up getting, I think up to black belt actually. And, you know, protecting my brother. Those some fun stories growing up. But so you can sing black belt yeah, and karate. Black belt. You're yeah. a four. I knew. No, see, that I was then. See, I, I said you're a kid, no. right? <laughs> I was joking. I was like... <laughs> How do you know? No, but that was actually just an example of a small town, but it had a lot to give if you wanted to, if you were really driven to do that. I only see it now, you know, hindsight 2020, that it wouldn't have happened for everybody. But my brother wanted to do things. I wanted to do things because he wanted to do things. Then maybe I'll do it better than I would drive him. And then 12 years later and 13 years later, I have two sisters who then, you know, learned a lot from us. And then the festival I just mentioned, right. she dominated it. She's one of the best singers. Fast forward to her being ugh, when she was 19 or 18 years old. She was a runner up to the equivalent of uh, American Idol in Montenegro. Oh, that's so, yeah, cool. Lots of singing happened in there. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So do you still sing? No. So that's the thing. I stopped because my voice had this thing. I guess I got it from my mom. I could sing when I was younger, but now even if I talk a little loudly, it goes hoarse. So if I want to sing, I should not speak for a while and I should sing one song. <laughs> There's no <laughs> career for me in that. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but my sister still sings, although she chose a different path. So she's very great at school too. So, so yeah. now at a fairly young age, you leave, right? You leave the right. country. So talk about that. Um, so in I was in high school, um, second year in high school. Um, throughout my schooling, I was really good in natural sciences as well. So I attended a lot of competitions and was winning or being a third place, second place a lot of times. So I, as I said, I never knew what I was really good at um, because I liked everything. Um, and then my dad came one day and said, hey, um, the... Um, Somebody told him that there was this opportunity to attend one of the United World Colleges. And this is, at the time, there were 10 in the world. And they're based in different countries. And the way that they pick students, actually, from different countries is dramatically different. In the United States, you just have to apply for it, know about it. Mm -hmm. In Montenegro, it just so happens a lot of people want to leave the country to be able to help. Uh, it's unfortunate at the time, especially that, you know, you need to go outside to actually financially, especially help your your uh, family. And I had a great potential, at least I, my dad saw it and, and my teachers. So he said, OK, um, the way they choose not from Montenegro is that you have to pass these exams within your school, then within your region, then within uh, on, on the basis of Montenegro, you have to compete. Long story short, I, I you know, I went through a lot of exams and now the way uh, United World Colleges work, it's a um, based on international baccalaureate uh, diploma, but it's a multicultural, 110 different um, nationalities come there and attend it. Hmm. But you have to be well-rounded and interested in extracurricular activities because that's a main part of it too. Uh, so you not only have to be good in school, 
because in Montenegro there's a lot of competition that everybody wants to go there. Mm -hmm. But you have to show that you have, let's say, diplomas and medals and different things. Like I skied from a young age too. So that helped. All of that helped, right? Um, but just an interesting fact, we were given five countries. So there was 25 of us because there's 25 um, municipalities in Montenegro. So you were the number one person one you're... In my, in Roger. Okay. So now that I was number one from Roger, there's 25 others. So in total, we were sent to this camp, summer camp, 10 days, which was great. You know, learning English, blah, blah. And at the end of it, there was a committee that interviewed you. And some of it um, were, let's say, the directors of the school in Italy or something like that. Right. So they asked you all sorts of questions and whether you passed or not, you don't know. But it was all about, I remember saying I wanted to go to the United States. Because there was one in the America. Because everybody wants to go to the great America. Why not? But I had no good reason. I just said, well, it's the first world power. Why wouldn't I want to go there? And they kept on, uh, they kept on uh, quizzing me. But do you know even of an American writer? And I remember being like, I know so many, but why can't I remember? And I was not all great. And then somebody said, the old man in the sea. And I was like, ah, Ernest Hemingway. So I remember that. A lot of quizzing of, you know, really testing your personality. So because they, you're leaving your, your family at the age of 16 to go study in some foreign country right. with a hundred different nationalities in a different language. At a time, I just learned English in school. It wasn't conversational at that point. Uh, so are you really built and strong enough to leave your country is really what they were looking at. Mm. Um, so needless to say, I was one of the five they got through. Um, I had five countries to choose from, rank them. I put America, United Kingdom, so England at that time, Italy. Actually, four. Yeah, Italy. And my last choice was India. For no particular reason. I mean, I'm 16-year-old. What do I know? And what do I get? India. You my last India. choice. <laughs> and I was like, why did you even ask me for a choice? <laughs> and uh, later on, they said, we chose the stronger personalities to go further away. And not wow. just further away physically, but culturally and otherwise. So I guess I had shown to be stronger than others in that way. It was rough. I left my country. I left my family, my friends, and my two little sisters that were three and four years old to go live in literally a village on top of a hill with people I've never met in my life, roommates, and you all live together in this camp with professors and everybody's there. It was the best experience of my life. It shaped who I am today, um, you know, along with where I came from. Um, but it was difficult. Well, how did it shape you? Like what... Give us in a couple of examples of things that you still carry with you that created that sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. and now, look, you've, right. we, we're up to 16. It's already been pretty exciting, right? You, you've got, right. It was definitely exciting. Right. I, I thought, yeah. So now, what? how is this experience, how did it shape you? Give us some examples if you could. Yeah, I mean, on top of my head, uh, there's so much, right? But when you're in Montenegro, it's almost like... I always think about it, and when I studied in school, it was always some sort of competition to do well and better. It was always that mentality of you need to push and do better, but for what end? Like, what is the end goal? Mm. It was less practical. It was more like this is what you need to do. And then you're you're coming from one background. I was very conservative at the time. Uh, not that I'm not that conservative now, but it was definitely, definitely like I'm come from a Muslim upbringing. There's certain things you don't do. Um, you have to obey your parents, you know? Yeah. So then you go to India and I literally in my room was an Egyptian, a Danish person, an Indian. Yeah. That was my first introduction to very different cultures. So I just remember being shocked, not by Indian culture per se, because I wasn't living in a, you know, I wasn't surrounded by um, Indian culture immediately because I was in, in a um, boarding school campus. Right. But it was just learning about different cultures and how people saw different things that immediately was blowing me away. Like uh, certain things that now, well, you know, these schools were actually made by, um, I believe, Queen Noor and Nelson Mandela after the, somebody said, after all these wars, like the Second World War, let's put people together in one place so that they come from different cultures and down the line, they will be leading their countries 
they won't want to, you know, invade another country because they understand the culture. Understood. They they have a friend from there. And I feel like that's the kind of thing I can't even put in words is where you live with people that brought different backgrounds together, different ex- like experiences. Mind you, I went there in 99, right literally a few months after we were bombed um, during mm. the Kosovo. So I come in there with fresh news for all of you. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm from Roje, which was 20 kilometers away from Pitch, which is part of Kosovo that was bombed. So like I felt it, I saw it. And that's the kind of experience that you gain from other countries and people coming from different countries. Yeah, because they're coming from just as rich and diverse backgrounds as you, but with a cultural bent, a religious bent, a all these different factors, right? Right. Now, and that's compounded on the fact that you lived in a house at a very young age where there are all these refugees. Right. Right. That's another thing. Yeah. yeah, So, I mean, so the the space has never been something I had. (laughs) (laughs) So me and my husband grew up extremely differently. He grew up in close to a mansion. He's not a rich guy, but it just happened to be in my mind. He had a sibling and that's it. And their own rooms. I never had my own room. I never had space and I was fine. There wasn't a dozen people in the room with you. And then there's, you know, India. I'm one of the four in a room. The first time I had my own room was then I went to Germany for undergrad. Um, and I had my own room. So is this after now boarding school? Now you go to Germany, right? Okay. So in Germany, still in love with the science, right? So the way it happened is in, um, India, you choose whatever you want to study at a higher level, lower level. So I was into biology and chemistry. I wanted to be a a doctor actually yeah, of medicine. Um, so my whole goal was, okay, now I'm going to get this international baccalaureate diploma, which will open all sorts of doors I wouldn't have had open if I were coming from Montenegro. Right. So that was the whole goal. I can get higher education elsewhere and, and, and do that. Um, so through United World College, I could do that. So I ended up applying everywhere in the United States. And then I last minute, I heard of a new school. So Pioneer again. Um, <laughs> being open in Germany, that was based pretty much like how my high school in India is all multicultural, different people coming from everywhere. And I saw the opportunity because I, uh, we all struggle with letting go of what we had in India. Mm. And um, everybody from United World Colleges feels that way when they leave the place because it's almost like an idealistic bubble. And then you go into the real world and a lot of people suffer from some even depression because the world is not as just and not that as accepting of different backgrounds, nationalities, ethnicities, religion. So, we so were, right? So then you're exposed to It's a really rich there. experience. Exactly. Right? It's a really rich experience because many people would say when you're thrown into that cultural diversity, it becomes hard, but you guys embraced it. We embraced it. That's the thing. First, I didn't think, I didn't know what to expect, right? And then first I was shocked. And then it, it was so quick to see even people that were even more shy than me, more conservative to actually open up and embrace it and then leave and try to make a change. We mm-hmm. always say we're just the one drop in the ocean. We had weekly um, world affairs meetings where we would talk about the world affairs. We had no TVs. You know, we, we talked about things through the news and our own experiences. But in any case, it was hard to let go of all of that. So I saw the opportunity quickly through this school in Germany, in Bremen, right. that was being open. And lo and behold, everybody that attended our first class was, I think, 150 people. And they all, almost all of them came from United World Colleges. That was awesome. Interesting. And we got to shave that school too, because we we're pioneers. So, and, but did you find that those people that came from the other United World Colleges had the same cultural dynamic going on at those schools? For they, sure. They had created that same dynamic all over at these different- For sure. And this is what is so powerful about United World College. I feel like we're diverged enough, but it's super important to know. When I attended United World College in India, and then I come to the United States years, years later, and it happened many times because in Boston, you will meet a lot of UWCers and they say, I'm from UWC. There's that instant connection. There's an instant everything. I can't even, it sounds like a cold, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how they've been able to kind of convey the same message and have the same almost experiences, regardless of the country that you were uh, studying at. Right. Because you were still going under the same I would say I, almost like ideology, but I hate that word. Yeah. So it's, it's really, um, it's a really rich experience, no matter which school you end up attending. So Germany, yep. during your undergraduate. Yep. Um, Three years of that in Germany, highly 
Uh, I went and did cell and molecular biology. The school was super, um, they called themselves Harvard of Europe, even though it was a pioneer. So there was no background, there was no history, Uh, but they wanted to really do that. And the school was extremely challenging. We had, I had something like, I had a scholarship for three years. So I had to finish in three years. So I would have something like nine exams per um, semester. So it was really tough. But then the education I got though, um, for instance, I did cell biology course when I then applied for PhD, because you could do that, you know, after undergrad in science, you could actually go jump into PhD, which I only learned after I did uh, internship in Detroit anyway. Um, so I learned that I could, hey, I could get a scholarship to. to so while you were in Germany, PhD. you did an internship in Detroit? The last, uh, yeah, la- uh, second year I did that. Yeah. Of all places to come to an American, The funny story, though, is uh, I am so about coming to America still. <laughs> My favorite movie, Coming to America. Anyway, I'm like in Germany. I'm like, I'm that closer to get to America. Um, I wanted to really, I, I always thought the scientific front was in the United States. I really wanted to get there. Um, and my cell biology teacher, Claudia Bricks, said, oh, I, if you want to do internship, not in Germany, I know f- through conferences, a few people, and she gives me six names. <laughs> and I remember distinctly, but now, because I've sort of better, sort of like a not photograph memory, but I remember in pictures. Um, and I remember seeing six names of scientists. They have their labs in different universities. And it was all San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco Detroit. <laughs> but I never really made a connection. It was all the United States. I swear to God, that's how ignorant I was. I was going to say, I said, did you rank them? Those, and then Detroit was on the bottom. I did that's not. Where you ended up. All I did is I saw a lady. Uh, so she was, the, was she the only woman scientist right. in the list? And subconsciously I picked her. I know for a mm. fact that at the time I didn't think that way. Okay. But I looked up her research and I loved it. Um, so I was like, I'm going to Wayne State University in Detroit. She was the first one to respond. Bonnie Sloan. Bonnie uh, Sloan. Yes. Awesome person. You know what? I think I know you Bonnie. You may know her. Yeah, because I did work at Wayne State years ago. This yeah, is going that's back her. a long time Breast ago. Breast cancer and a lot of things. I think I've actually done some work with her Amazing. years and years and years ago. I have to look the name up, but I'm pretty sure I've If you have I've met her. through the Wayne State, she's yeah. pretty established Yeah, because I did. Yeah. I remember I did. I was out there a few times. Uh, interesting. I have to look it up because I think awesome. I've met her yeah. before. So that was just by chance. She was uh, one of the first ones to respond to me. And I've always done in my life, I've just gone with a gut feeling for better or worse. And I always say that it always is positive than negative. So with Bonnie's lab, uh, she immediately said, sure, you can come. And it was, I believe, two months in uh, my last. So since it's three years, it's end of the second year, summer of it. And nobody warned me about Detroit. Nobody said Detroit is not San Francisco. <laughs> like nobody, nobody. But I'm in a school with look where you're one American, from. right? Like, look where, look where yeah. you're coming from. It's Actually, like- at that point, we didn't even have one American. It was my really close friend, Tatiana Lawson, had left because she was like, I've had enough of this experience, uh, but this is too much school for me. Nine, <laughs> nine exams per semester. I'm going back to the United States and do my liberal arts and have four per semester, okay. which was a great decision on her part. I couldn't afford it, right? So I've always looked into ways to go to school, but also have it paid for me. Right. Um, and one thing you could do is if you get a PhD, I learned not only do they pay for your school, but you actually get some salary so you can live off of it. And that was key for me. Um, so I went first to Detroit, lots of stories there, but I was 20 years old and I lived at Wayne State University right next door. So that's downtown Detroit. Right. And they said, do not walk five minutes away from the campus. I took that as a challenge. I was like, really? <laughs> and of course I walked, turned some head heads. I remember I was like 20 years old. I had long blonde hair. I was blonde most of my life. Hard to believe. And I remember walking. I saw McDonald's and I, I was like, McDonald's, I have to go there. And I was crossing the street and some guy was walking my way and just literally started charging at me, going towards me and be like, give me the money. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I literally laughed <laughs> and I was like, you can't make this up. And he just started laughing. So that's how he went. He didn't rob me. He didn't rob me. No. He just laughed and walked away. Yeah. And then he told somebody else, like, she's funny or something. And I remember going to my building after that and seeing them just saying hi. Oh, so that it, was good. So that reminds me, I was on a business trip. I was a young buck. I was in my early twenties. I was in Chicago, staying at the McCormick and um, I was going to go for a run that night. 
And so it's just the sun's going down and I go out for a run, right? I didn't know that that was a bad part right. of Chicago. You just so don't, yeah. I'm out running Eric, and there's this car like following me with four big dudes in it. Right. Follow so you're, me. You're not so in the I, area where you should be. Huh? I'm running a little faster, a little yeah. faster. Now, now I ran all through college, right? Track. That was probably my fastest oh, time. Good. Somebody <laughs> would have been timing. And so no. I run back up and, and I get to the, the front of the hotel. Right. And the bellman's like, Sir, did you just go for a run? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you Are don't you run in this neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that when you watched me right. walk out with yeah, tennis shoes exactly. on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was my introduction to, to Detroit. But remember, this is the first time I had landed in the United States. Oh, another, oh God, the even funnier story was me landing and not having dollars landing at midnight. Coming from, at this point, I came from Montenegro. I went home briefly for vacation and then, you know, to Detroit. And I remember dad giving me maybe a couple hundred dollars because uh, then they were going to pay for my food and everything. Um, but he didn't, sorry, he didn't give me dollars at a time. It was, let me backtrack. It was not Deutschmarks anymore. It was euros. So I had euros. But I had no idea. I landed at midnight and they told me there will be a cab driver. You just have to call him. How am I going to call them? So I land and there's nobody around. Um, it's midnight. And right. It's the airport in Detroit and nobody's waiting for me. Um, even worse story when I went to India. Anyway, so I, I then saw a cop because I couldn't use the pay phones. I had no right. coins. And I asked him, uh, how, how do I do this? And he said, oh, you know, you can't exchange the money now. Everything's closed. Who's waiting for you? I had no idea. I said, they said it would be a cabbie and here's the number. Um and I don't think the cop helped me, but somebody, somebody and how is heard. your English at this point? Because you've never At this point, it's okay, but that's a funny part because I've only spoken English with non-English native speakers, right? right? you're in Germany and so India. My, my, and so. it's always been in English that I studied, but nobody spoke native English. So that, okay. Because nobody was American. So when I came to, to Detroit, I did not understand much. Okay. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh, but like I think I went it's funny to, how fast you talk now. Now I know. I can't even, right. Right. It's very different. But anyway, somebody helped me call this cabbie. I found him and the cab driver was trying to flirt with me. I was like, what is going on? And then offered me shoes. <laughs> from the trunk. I remember this and I was like, okay, I'm going to go sell now. you shoes? No, he's like, I have these nice shoes for you. So call me later. Never asked for money because I had no money to give him. I had only euros. He didn't, you, he, he didn't, you didn't have to pay him? Well, I should have. And I said, this is the money I'll get reimbursed. But I had no dollar. He's like, no, just call me tomorrow so you can give me the money. And I just told, you know, Bonnie Sloan, okay, you guys deal with this guy. You know? uh, okay. They just so said, they don't took, worry about it. They yeah. took care of it. Yes. Okay. So great. So now you're in Detroit. Um, you do you do your... your so um, I did my internship there. Internship. Two months. Right. And that's when, you know, the love for science uh, really, truly originated. Because I saw it, you know, being done in a lab. A great lab, interesting lab, right. interesting research. And um, Bonnie really liked me, what I, you know, generated the data at the time for those two months. And she was all happy to have me apply to Wayne State. And fast forward, I applied to many places. And again, I applied to Wayne State University. I got in. And in fact, I think I applied. So I only applied to six because you had to pay for all of that. And we right. added up. So Again, I learned then the, the location matters. It's not all the same in the United States. <laughs> and it's a big place, right? Because you come from this small little valley and the United States is just so vast. It's so big. Right. I mean, we, we take it for granted because we just, you know, you grow up here. And, exactly. You know. It's no other place I've been. Even India is vast and, you know, it's so diverse and different in different regions. And U.S. is much like that in a different way. Right. Uh, and I come from Montenegro. And the story I told you, oh, there was a turmoil and whatnot. But in my entire life is the safest place I'd lived in. And that's the funniest part, right? Huh. I, 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 my town is the safest place I've yeah, ever been. Yeah, because Detroit isn't all that safe. Right. So even Boston, right? No other place I've lived in is as safe as being home. Um, and I was never hurt, you know, like luckily, anywhere. But it's it's just interesting, just putting that in a context, right? And then, of course, when I applied, I chose Boston University because a lot of my friends were in Boston. <laughs> and at this point, I, I learned that it's going to be a long, you know, five to six, however many years doing a PhD. Okay. Um, it's going to matter where I live. And it, um, I knew that there's a lot of United Rural College people here, a lot of great colleges. So it was just a decision not based on a school at all. So that's how you ended up in Boston. Right. Okay. And that was 2004. 
Okay. Oh, and then you get your graduate degree. And then yeah. what did you do? What was the first job? Where did you go? So right after I was at BU, um, got my, uh, my PhD in cell and molecular biology. Um, I always wanted to go into um, a company. I never wanted to stay in academia. I knew that um, for different reasons. But the main reason was probably the selfish uh, reasons is I needed to help my family financially. And I knew that staying in, you know, in academia is not necessarily going to help me out in the time that I needed. Um, and it was now, you know, I need to help my you, family now. You mentioned something earlier where um, even as a uh, graduate student getting your PhD, you actually were sending money home. Right. Right. So you're living off of that, which is not a lot. Not much. Right. I remember and, paying half of it was for my room and whatever I lived, which wasn't great. Right. And then you'd send. And then there's the other half that I would live off of and send home too. So um, my parents never asked for it. They were obviously grateful. Um, and I said my dad had always done well, but it was a struggle at some point and a mm. lot of politics. So that's why I hate politics. Uh, yet I talk about it. I don't know. Um, so I, I hate it. I hate corruption and all about that that led through, you know, um, hardship in my family. And again, the economic situation wasn't the best in Montenegro. You can have degrees. You don't get the good jobs unless you know somebody. So that all compounded. And, then, you know, I needed to help out my sisters and my brother and my parents. So I did send money. But again, it wasn't enough. And it was, again, selfishly driven. However, um, not selfish for myself. I had to give money away. And it's just how I'm raised. You know, my biggest satisfaction I ever got was to contribute for uh, others, be it friends, family, or people that just need. Right. Um, so that's back when I say that, oh, I'm uh, maybe generous, but I feel like that's selfish because it makes me feel good in the end. Right. Well, but that's, I, but, but it's a good selfish to have, I hope. Right. Because while you feel good about it, you should, and you're helping others. Right. right. Like if I pay for a vacation for myself and spend $3,000, which I did at some point because I could, I felt horrible because right. I said, what did I just do? $3,000 gets people a long way back home. Right. So I have to, you know, struggle with that balance and um, the guilt part and the, you know, how much should I feel guilty and how much can I help and not feel guilty? And it's a longer conversation, right? Yeah. But that's, that's, I can see, um, I, I get that. I understand it, but not through your lens. Like it's one thing yeah. to understand it intellectually, right? Mm -hmm. But it's another thing to have come up the way you did and spent the period of time you did in all the diverse places that you spent and that now, that economic shift that's occurred for you. Yeah. Right? Where and as I said, it was never an expectation <laughs> from my family to push myself so hard so that I could provide for them. It never really was. It was just built in me. And um, I was so happy to be able to do that. Um, in the end, right? It's a struggle. It's a lot of long road to get right. there. And am I there yet? I don't you know. But um, there's always that part where you kind of need to use to ground yourself. You forget about the way of living. And, right. Yeah. So in industry, what company initially? Oh, so first, actually, my first job could not be industry. I graduated as luck would have, have it. And well, I defended my thesis in 2008. Okay. Um, so or 2008, 2009. So it was the bad time in the country, if you remember. Yes. <laughs> I, I always hit something <laughs> like, what's going on? You never make uh, it easy. Right. And now I am a foreigner. I don't have a green card. I have a student visa. Um, so not only am I looking for a job, but I'm looking for somebody to really sponsor, sponsor. me. And that wasn't happening then. Um, but one thing I could do, which is what I think in my profession you needed to do anyway, is do a postdoc. And that's in academia. And um, I was lucky enough to be accepted in um, prestigious lab of uh, uh, Professor um, uh, Doug Laffenberger mm -hmm. at MIT. He was the head of biological engineering. Right. Um, Super awesome person. And I talked to him. He liked me and he said, come when you defend. And that was it. And I told him flat out, I, I want to go into industry. And I yeah. know he has a lot of contacts in industry. How can I learn what industry is? And he said, just come on in. We like you and uh, we'll take it You know, from there. And I was in his lab for a year and a half only. But it was the greatest experience. It was awesome. I learned a lot and I got to publish within that time too. And then the first job is my current job, 
was then going to Momenta Pharmaceuticals. So that's your first industry job was Momenta. That's right. You've been there since. Right. And even that job I got by luck, I think. So So talk to me a little bit about, um, well, let's talk about the luck for a second because I think luck is such an important, right. we watched a presentation yesterday, you weren't here, but one of these, uh, one of the CEOs was presenting his biotech company and he's been wildly successful and he and his partner still own like 68% of it. Oh, wow. right. That they, they, but they were able to leverage their first compound, do a transaction, make a boatload of money. Cause everything just sort of like the stars found alignment, meaning they didn't, they didn't get it very far, but they de-risked it, but it was a really hot area. And so everybody, there was a bidding war. So they were, they were like right oh, at wow. the person inflection point where the market was demanding this type of technology. There were very few of them out there. So they got bid up. They, 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 they went out. So everybody in the room is like, well, I want to do that. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. That does not happen. Time out. You know, that's just dumb luck. That's what, you know, uh -huh. And he's up there being arrogant about, yeah, we do this. We don't need money. We just developed our second, third and fourth pot compound without having to go raise capital from venture. And, and I'm you're like, like no, that's, no, that's not, not the, the real world. Right. right. But tell us about the luck. No. So when I was looking for companies to jobs, um, nobody would respond to me because I needed a green card sponsorship. And um, so that was just not happening. Right. Uh, and I remember reaching out to Momenta and then my former PhD advisor had known the uh, co-founder. So he just reached out and said, hey, um, you know, here's somebody who was my student. I think you would like her. Just give her a chance. Talk to her for a position that I actually wasn't qualified for. And I said, I'm not a computational <laughs> biologist. I just come from computational <laughs> biology lab. I'm a cell biologist. In any case, I met a bunch of people at Momenta and um, needless to say, I did not get the job because I said I'm not right. qualified. I'm not coming in to say I do something which I don't. So I didn't feel comfortable, but it was great to meet everybody. Uh, what ended up happening now, this was fast forward six months later. I remember talking to one of the persons who was a biologist there. So I reached out to her saying, hey, I actually just published. And if there's any chance you have a position for my background, um, I'd love to come and interview. And she responded right away. Her uh, name is Birgit Schultz. She's not there anymore. But she said, oh, wow, we wondered what happened to you. And I was like, wait, what? They said, well, whoever was the manager, hiring manager never really updated why I didn't get a job. So they all thought that either I quit or okay. something happened. They liked and, you, but you didn't. Yeah. Right. And then she said, let's have lunch. There's no position open, but let's have lunch. And that lunch turned into like her basically going back and carving a position for me so they can get me in. And they, So what uh, year was this now? Emma? Uh, good question. <laughs> um, 2011. Okay. So July is when I had lunch in 2011. They'd all met me anyway. She goes back and says, maybe we can make something work like a postdoc, industrial postdoc. I wasn't thrilled, but if that's my ticket in. And then I go in as, you know, potentially as a postdoc to interview. I talk to people. In a week later, they say, we are formalizing your offer. And actually, we really liked you and no need to drag you through this postdoc thing. We want you to be, you know, a full-time employee as a scientist. And they took care of your green card and all yeah, that for and, you. Um, they would do that within you. You had to be at Momenta for let's say two, three years before they would sponsor you. But they really loved me. So in a year, they, they, they asked me to. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know. But I'm so grateful to Momenta. It feels like a family for me. Uh, it's been a different company through different years, but some people are the same to stay there that actually helped me, like the great HR department. They, they really did take care of me, basically. And I got my green card a few years later, mostly because I dragged my feet on certain things. But um, they're the reasons I had my green card. And as of two days ago, I had been fingerprinted for my citizenship. So we'll see. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> so I will be American. That's great. <laughs> so you it's finally made it to America. <laughs> you finally made it. It's a long road. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about um, the science because- mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel came, like we haven't done Yeah, we haven't done it, but it's such part. a great story. Just And yeah. I didn't know all of it, so it's yeah. so great to hear it all. I've gotten bits and pieces of it over right, the it's years, a, yeah. but it's, it's the journey is great to hear the whole thing string together. So now you're here, um, you're at the IB course three years ago, uh, you're presenting a project reluctantly. You're working with one of your colleagues, Carlos. Yes. Um, he's a great force behind you. Oh, I love Carlos. Just through that- He's one of my mentors along with Tony Manning. Yeah, so, just, yeah. I mean, what a great way. He's just, he's just. And he also has humble beginnings. Subtle, so we, yeah. 
quite, he'd be another great guy to do a, That's right. a, a podcast mm-hmm. with, but just subtle, quiet, but just, and he kept, no, you're going to do great. And this is going to work great. And you, cause you were like this frenetic energy you have. You're yeah, like, no, I, I'm not I, doing it. I would come in and you're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm done. You know so what? Many times. I thought about it all last night. I'm a present. And even no. like Sunday morning, right, right before you're ready to go on, you're like, I'm right. not doing it. Yep. I, I'd never been put in the situation that I had to do the simplest thing, which seemed like a simple thing to simplify your science and your idea for only seven minutes. Mind you, I've had my PhD and postdoc and presented hours. That's way easier than concisely present an idea that somebody would say, bingo, I want to invest in you. And that was um, one of the most challenging tasks I had. And I've had a lot of challenges. Um, Having said that, but before I really want to emphasize the significance and importance of IBE uh, that not only like influenced me since then, but even at a time as I was attending the course, you may know the story when um, just a week prior to that or two weeks prior, I told Tony Manning, the, at the time VP of research, um, now CSO of Momenta, um, I came into his office and said, Momenta sponsors uh, to, for us to take classes outside of here by you know, yearly X number of money. I really want to develop my entrepreneurial skills. As you know, we are never taught that, right? So how do I do that? I looked into some courses and there's one given by MIT Sloan. It's a weekend course in person. You go in and attend and I signed up. So I'm asking for forgiveness. Is this okay? And he said, oh, I wish you told me because there is this course, IBE, that is just starting and it will be perfect for you. And he said, you know what? Just attend both. Even though I've reached that quota, he said, no, you know what? Go to that one and then go to IBE. So I went to MIT and it was only two weeks prior to IBE and not to say that it was a bad course, but I walked out of it with a bunch of, you know, citations and books to go read, a bunch of definitions. There was no interaction. There was nothing that I came up with. They helped me refine and then I pitched it. Now that's almost like real life experience, right? You don't get that in these courses. You pay a lot of money for big names to teach you something like, you know, this is a book you should read because I wrote it. Uh, and here's some case study. Right. Um, that may work for some people. It did not work for me. I didn't come out knowing what to do with my ideas at all. And IBE was one of the more transformative courses I had ever taken because it's, what was it? Three to five days, five days five in days. total Yeah. Um, of some of the best presentations and topics that are so well-rounded that it isn't just talking about, here's how to pitch idea. This is just, there's so much that is packed into that. So you learned about IP, the law, you learn about the FDA, you learn about everything else you need to know to develop a drug, right? And it's so focused in the niche that we're in. It's not just general business, which I think is super important. Um, when you just talk generally, it, it really right. doesn't help. What works for economics doesn't work for you know, developing a drug, the good idea and developing drug isn't the same as I have this great software idea, right? It's not well, the same. And I think, you know, we always say whoever's doing the work's doing the learning. So we immediately teach right. you something and then we say, okay, now do it. Now go do it. Go do it. <laughs> and that's right. what I was not comfortable with. <laughs> right. And I remember you said to me, I'll remember this. You were the first one to ever say it to me. And subsequently a number of people have said it, but you said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like, like this really is hard. And now listening to the backstory, like what a compliment that is to what we've you been able to create and Greg Fairbrothers, who's, you know, created the right, curriculum. Right. Yeah. But that, that is a tremendous compliment because you've been through a lot and you've been through some really rigorous programs and to be able right. to say that and that five days. Different difficulty, different. I can't even describe it. It was more ch- just pure challenge because everything else you could give me 24 hours New book, new field, go score this exam. I probably can do it. It won't be difficult because I can do that. But taking me out of my comfort zone where I'm a scientist that knows all these things, but I don't know how to summarize it. I don't know what do you want to hear so that, you know, how do I tailor that? Those are all new concepts. And part of the reason why it was so difficult is because we are groomed as scientists. We're never, ever taught how to go run a business. And I believe mm. even if you go to a business school, it's a very different thing. Like it's, you're still being taught and you have years to do that, not a crash course, right? 
something that, and you're what? built as a scientist. Now you're almost like wired. So how do you rewire your thinking right. to apply it now differently? And that's difficult. It's, um, I think what's, I think what's really cool is that when we started this, we created this five day course and Greg, who was the, the you know, the, you know, really crafted a lot of it. It said, it'll never work. There's no really? way we're going to change a scientist in five days. It'll never work. And I'm so like, it's got to be five days because we can't get six days. Right. We're never going to get, so I said, <laughs> let well, alone I, two years. Right, I did know. my market research. And then you think about it that he said, we have to figure that all we're doing is it's like a pushing them on off the starting line. Right. We push and we teach right. them how to learn. We can't teach them everything, but we teach them how to learn and how to engage with their environment. And I think that's one of the things that Tammy said earlier. It's this idea of, you know, okay, you pitched your idea, your one minute, two minute pitch, like we do right. first day, right? Where you right. got to get up the like at the end of the day. Then, yeah. yeah, you get one minute, Elma, get up there and pitch an idea. Right. And you're like, what? Horrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I confused everybody. Yeah, it was you know, horrible, a, by the way. A lot, a lot of like looks. Like, hmm. yeah. yeah, it was, but you know what? Then to look at what you had on Sunday and just that, so that's right. just week one, right? And now three years later, look at where that project was on that Sunday and think about where that project is now. Right. Maybe you could share with our right. listeners. Right. So, well, we went, I pitched something that I was working at a time on, or at least having the idea. And along with Carlos, then we ended up saying, wow, okay, now I have to present this. And then why don't we split up and have another idea as well? So I remember at the end, we had those two ideas. Um, um, we finished that pitch that I remember having a great feeling of accomplishment that I actually could do something in seven minutes and I got relatively good feedback. Um, and people bought my idea, at least theoretically at a time. So that was a great sense of accomplishment from having started, like, I have no idea how to do this. So in the end, just at the end of that course, I felt like I accomplished something anyway. And then when we back, went back to Momenta, we literally pitched it, pitched the idea to our executives and Tony helped uh, make this happen. So then we went and actually did a pitch. We had five minutes to pitch to our CEO, CSO, CFO, you name it, CMO, <laughs> all sorts of people. It was so nerve wracking, but I feel like I remember being less nervous for that than I was at IBE. <laughs> so we literally pitched it. So it was very similar pitch, but now, you know, disclosing more and that's where you engage them. And they were like a go, you can now work on this. We'll give you, you know, certain funding to get to that point, your exit strategy within a company. And one of these products, um, ended up being licensed years, um, a couple of years later, um, uh, with a, you know, big, um, pharma. So that's a great exit strategy for a compound that was preclinical wasn't even clinical compound. We got 50 million up front. So that was great. And the other one is now getting novel antibodies and proof of concept and could be transformative for the treatment of fibrotic diseases. And they were both at IBE. So. See, I, I get, I just get, the, when we stood in that room back in 2015 and, and Tony stood up and said, we're going to create an asset factory. We're going to create lots of solutions. And I, I remember it, it, it was so cool because he said, look, I have a day job. If all we want to do is, you know, hold a class and maybe get a couple people through it, he said, eh, I'm not interested. But he said, if we want to change the world, right, you know, really want to target changing the way scientists think and the way they interact with their organizations, he said, I'm all in. And you're a walking, talking example of what we would hope would happen, which is someone comes, they, 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 they learn how to think about the science and how to communicate it to the business guys. They get it funded. Right. And then it, the it, it, it makes a difference. Right. It, it just happens, right? And it still is happening at Momenta, the way we talk about new drug, new ideas. And a lot of them I shoot down because of what I've learned here. And they're like, oh, I got to talk to you. We don't think that way. You know, like it's not that this disease is not important, but there's no unmet need. And how do you define that unmet need depends on, you know, what the goals of the company are. And people as scientists don't think of that. It just sounds this is a cool idea and that's it. You know, it doesn't, right. it's not applicable to, to, um, in many ways. So that's, that's been a, a transformative part of my career is attending IB course to actually build that skill set that I always wanted to build, but I had no idea how to do that. And I'd been raving about a program to anybody that I talked to that we sent here. Right. And just now he gave me the opportunity to present to the class that I was attending three years ago in Tony Manning's shoes. So that was interesting. 
the feedback was great. So I'm, I'm happy about that. But I also, again, echoed the idea and said, I know many of you are probably not going to want to present, but I hope you do because that's how you learn. You learn the most that way. Good. Um, oh, well, that day, that Sunday when you were presenting, Carlos came up before and he said, he, I want to present. Exactly. And I said, well, you haven't been working on anything. He goes, well, we should have. Yeah. Elm and I have been working on a second project. And I said, well, why now? And he said to me, if I don't do this, I'll feel like I've missed an opportunity and I'll regret it forever. Right. And he got up and he killed right. it. He did a exactly. great job. So that's right? that second idea that is licensed now. Mm. So when um, the night before we were preparing, um, I remember just being like, wait, so I'm presenting, right? To Carlos. He said, of course, you have to present. And he was not my uh, manager at the time. He was later. Um, and, he, and he said, man. I need, we need to do that other idea. And I was like, you know what? You need to split up. I think they'll be fine. They'll fit you in. You should do it. And that's the way you learn. And that's what he did. Cause he, he wanted to start uh, companies before and he wanted to get that, you know, feeling of and how to pitch and he did it and he killed it. Yeah. He was the first one to go. Yeah. And not <laughs> only that, but now he's got a big shut job. Exactly. He went to another drug company. Right. And now he's, he's, he's the man. Leading the he's leading thing. their R and D. Right. right. So it, again, it's just, you get, you get excited about what you guys are accomplishing. So our little, little project, I think it's, it's working, right? It's, no, and thanks to you guys for making this happen, right? Yeah. I don't know. This is, um, you don't get paid for it. You know, you don't get no, anything no, out of it, no. but really spreading the wealth of knowledge you guys have in different areas. And then now carving it in a way that is applicable to people like us. Yeah. That have ideas, but have no idea what to do with, with their babies. Right. <laughs> So let's just finish up. I'd like to spend mm-hmm. a couple minutes talking about um, what a wonderful story about how you how you came to America and how you've <laughs> how, you, how you've you started to chart your your career path. Um, and you're you're definitely somebody. I hope we can get back here to do this again because I'd like to. Yeah, you know, it'll be every few years and see what happens. I know. But but um, <laughs> along the way, you haven't talked about it all. But you've gotten married. Right. right. So your husband, sir, maybe talk a little bit about Spencer because he's an interesting guy. And I know you said he did a podcast yesterday. So now That's you can right. one up him and say, sir, guess like, what? Coincidence. It and was funny. You've had a baby. That's right. Right. So you have a little one, one and a half yep, now. Yeah, one and a half years yeah. old. So talk a little bit about how you're challenge. juggling that, how you're juggling that with a career. Because you've gotten, you've gotten promoted a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You, you, you got a much more intense job. The organization's lean and mean. Right. So maybe That's right. spend a little bit of time talking about that. So that's a good point. Um, I had been single and just the priority had been just schooling, getting, you know, diploma after diploma, job after, you know, accomplishment after another one. And that's all I'd been focusing on. Um, so that personal life has always been something that back home, everybody was like, well, you got your undergraduate. So now you get married. And I said, no. And then that kept on happening. Um, then I got my PhD, then I got a job and, that personal life wasn't that I intentionally um, neglected, but it was more if it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. So I met Spencer. Uh, he's a great guy. He's actually another interesting story. Um, but he, his background, he was a great athlete, um, got into all Ivy League schools in Harvard and MIT, but he picked Georgia Tech and got his engineering degree there. What was his sport? But, but then he was a triple jumper and I think sprinter, yeah. Okay. So I think he's a high school in, in Lake Forest, still has his uh, record on the board for, I believe, triple jump, yeah. Oh, neat. Uh, years, years later. I didn't know that about him. Right, yeah. So he he then, um, and he's, you know, a smart guy and always did well in school as well. But he, he got his master's also in uh, aerospace engineering. And then um, he went to MIT Sloan. So I told him about that course I didn't like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he, right off the bat, started his own company, which now he knows you shouldn't do because you need to, you need to build some we've networks. We've talked about getting him in this class and That's we've never right. been able to, we've never been able to needed, do that. So now he's a draper. Right. Yeah. And he's doing a lot of listening to the pitches. So a lot of sitting on the other side of the table, listening to startups and licensing them in or something like that. How much did you learn from you about how to, how to do oh, this? <laughs> it's funny because he's like, listen to Elma, try to share that IB knowledge. And when he talks about, so he's actually run certain pitches by me and say like, what do you think of this? And so it's interesting to see that. He wouldn't have asked me before, I don't think. But he pick, you pick it apart and oh, no, give him advice. For sure. Yeah. And he's like, what you learned that at IB. So he, he jokes about that a lot. But anyway, then we uh, we got married what, two years ago. 
And uh, now we have a little son, Balik. He's a year and a half. And he's a ball of joy. But man, coming from two active parents, I guess I couldn't have... Uh, gotten another child that isn't as active, right? So he's, he's, he's a lot of work. So juggling work has been, um, and personal life is a lot, it's a whole different degree of, of difficulty. Um, first year was diff- definitely difficult, especially leaving the little guy behind at three mm-hmm. months. There's that guilt that sets in, but also you want to perform at work. What really I've been really blessed with and, and lucky is to have been at the same company where I've established myself to some extent. Uh, they knew what I can do and how much I can perform and what the shortcomings are, you know, from everybody. So uh, when I had Malik, we're such a family-oriented company that even if I struggled, I could take that time and, you know, tend to myself and my son and go back and perform. So it's difficult, but it was manageable because I've already built that reputation. Got it. And I always say if I had had a new job and Malik, that would have been close to impossible. And a lot of people go through that. So I, I don't know how, to, how they do it, but you never know until you're thrown into that situation, right? Right. Well, you, and you had, you had been in an because it's interesting hearing your, how you're doing it because mm-hmm. it gives a different perspective. And I think it's, it's a challenge because, you know, you're trying to juggle that being the mom, being a wife, right? And, right. And, and then also the job and the job's intense, right? And, right. It's, and there's a lot of pressure to produce in short timelines mm-hmm. and publicly traded and, and exactly. right. It's right. not like and a little department thing. had to, you know, justify their existence. You know, right. you don't just sit there and spend money. Although, you know, every company is structured differently, yeah. but we have been really blessed to have a company that actually put a weight on our research department and what we can produce. And now there's three compounds in the clinic and they all came from our research engine we didn't go and license any of this right so that's that that's all kudos to tony manning really um he came in and got guided us well and we produced and um i hope the next wave of things that i'm working on is the one that i presented that is going to be the next you know candidate to be a drug in development and this is a crucial year well i i Tony and I have a long history, not only with the IB, mm-hmm. but uh, I was the one that did the licensing, helped him set up the licensing deal for the database. Remember the, the, That's the, right. the, the RA database yep. and, and all the, and, <laughs> and I got you guys the biologic data because we had that That's data right. and a lot of companies didn't understand the value of that. And I said, to Tony, I think this is incredibly valuable, and I think that's been pretty helpful for you guys. Oh, right? absolutely. We um, that was the research we did back a few years ago, right? In Corona, we published it recently. Um, but that's a part of the huge precision engine effort. You know, the to come up with targets, not doing what is typically done, going from you know the least simple, the most simple systems, and going working up and going to human beings only when you're a drug in clinic. Right. So we said, why don't we study patient samples first? And that's how we figure out, you know, the targets in those high unmet need areas and go f- sort of from top to bottom. And then say we started from the most complex system, uh, not from the artificial animal models, but we're here in humans. So right. um, that's thanks to you. We were able to start that. Well, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist. I've always right. loved it. If I had to go back. I would have done a different path. I wouldn't have done the accounting finance. I would have done the science. I would have, now it's, you know, it's way too late for me, but. But it worked out because you're influencing people like us, the scientists. I get to help them. Yeah, exactly. I get to help them. And 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 if you didn't do uh, this path, you wouldn't have been one of the critical, you know, um, sort of mentors for scientists to actually do good things and generate ideas that would actually go and, and be a product. Right. I, you I think, may have not gotten to this point. I, I think about that all the time. I mean, I've had some really interesting opportunities. I've done some really interesting things. I've gotten to see things. A lot of people don't get to see the diversity and right. volume of stuff I got, I've gotten to see in my career. And I often reflect back on it that you could have never designed the path I took. Like there's no way you could have laid it out much like yours, I guess. And anybody could probably say that, but I always wonder why certain things happened and they've all proved to be valuable components mm-hmm. that have gotten me here today right, where exactly. we are. And now sort of where the IBE is and Eureka Connect, it's really an interesting place because we're seeing pretty significant impact on both sides, on the behavioral mm-hmm. side and on the, on the 
this is incredible. Right, we never even talked about the behavioral part of it. Well, yeah, is, we didn't talk about the which behavioral. Which is the eureka part, that, which is pretty significant too. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, maybe you could take a minute and just talk about that. How did? Yeah, so no other course in my life have I taken where a person tells me who I am. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, now off you go. In any case, you come to IBE and we take that test and then uh, you compile the data and tell us really what's our genetic component that makes us who we are and then what is the learning component if i remember correctly correct and it was very true to who we are although for me i had not taken one component so i scored a zero which wasn't good <laughs> but in any case then you use that throughout the course to then guide us and say this is how you think and this is how you're talking in the team because i always take the first lead and whatnot and you said of course Selma would do that because of you know the this is what a test had said as well. Um, but it only uh, also teaches us how to work with others, having that information in hand, and you can leverage people differently. So if you know somebody is an introvert, you do not want to push them and put them in the spot. Um, but there's other ways to leverage people. And if you know that up front, it makes it easier for team building, working in a team. We were just talking in this talk that... Um, uh, earlier about, uh, you know, great ideas. And one of, of the components is the right ideas is the one when you have a great team to execute with. Because if you don't, do not, everything else kind of is meaningless. Well, I think what we've been able to do with your connect component of the IBE is you've had this journey where you've had pretty good insight into people anyway. Right. I always talk mm -hmm. about social acumen, the combination of social skills and good well-being inputs and outputs. Right. The input is if I like you, I'm looking for different things. If mm -hmm. I connect to you, I look for different things. Right. And that dictates how I respond. That's right? right. If I like you, I respond in a more gentle way, even when I disagree and I'm more. But if I don't like you, you know, your natural inclinations. Right. Where did you get that? Exactly. <laughs> how did you come up with that? What were you thinking? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But knowing how to knowing that 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 the. the, the the, the behavioral composition of why you act and react the way you do. You've, you've done that because you were in these really unique situations where you had to, when you were with refugees, you just have to accept that these people have nothing. They're part of the family now. And right. you embrace that. And then you were put in this other school where internationally everybody was so diverse that you embraced the diversity and you learned how to engage that. And it became part of a, a unifying thing, right. right? Not a dividing thing. Like we find today where we have a lot of division over things that That's right. shouldn't be dividing mm -hmm. us, really shouldn't. At the end of the day, we're human beings. And I think when you saw refugees, I think that's really the very essence of the human humanity of these people just want to be fed and they want to be safe. And right. It becomes sleep. just the basic. Basic, basic needs. Yeah. Right. And that's Maslow's hierarchy of need. Right. Mm -hmm. We talk about that all the time. You and I live in a world where it's at the top. It's right. self-fulfillment. It's, right. it's not the bottom. Right. You know, but you've seen that, mm -hmm. which gives you an appreciation for it. All they're connected for you is put context and objectivity around something you had already learned. Mm -hmm. And it helps you to then teach it because now you actually know the components of what you're seeing as opposed to just what you've learned. Through. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's, that's, and that's, that's what we're doing. There's nothing I told you you didn't know. You just now know a, a deeper understanding. It's sort of like taking it back to your science analogies. I was laughing earlier about oh, that. <laughs> you break everything into a science and a scientific analogy. For but, sure. Yeah. But, uh, well, this, um, I know we ran, we probably ran a little bit longer, but this has been fantastic. This is, uh, as I knew it would be, I, I just, it, no, just the for energy. No, me the opportunity to talk about all this. Oh, just so, my, this has great. been a, just, just a treat for and me. And I'm again, grateful for everything you guys have taught us in this course that, you know, it still stays with me. So, well, uh, just keep up the great work. Uh, good luck, uh, balancing. Thank you. And, yeah. uh, and uh, again, I appreciate you helping out today, teaching the session and then just doing fun. this. This You're just fantastic. You're just, uh, yep. Okay. I'll do it. I'll change my schedule around. I'll be there. I'll do it. Yeah. We'll see how that went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, thanks. Thank Have a great you. weekend. Take care. You too.